sermon text for today is from the book of Romans, chapter 5. We're continuing today our series on Advent. The word Advent means coming or arrival. This is a season that Christians have observed for over a millennium. And all of you, in some ways, have observed Advent if you've been to an Advent service before, or if you've been to a Christmas Eve service, uh, these are Advents, these are part of the Advent calendar that the church has historically observed. During Advent, we teach our hearts to do something we don't do well, that is waiting. Advent is a season of waiting, and as we remember the first coming of Christ, we remind ourselves that He's coming again each week. We remember one word that helps us wait for the coming of Christ. Last week was hope. This week is peace. The following two weeks will be joy and love. And even as we wait for the center center candle to be lit, which is the candle of Christ, in our very stage today, there is a bit of tension. We want to see, it is unsettling to see candles that are not lit. Candles are supposed to be lit. That's why they exist. That's why they're made. And they're incomplete. Why? Because we wait for the fulfillment of all these things in the coming of Christ. Today we turn to the word peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we just sang the Civil War hymn, we're reminded today that we, at least from what we can see, this year are experiencing less peace in the world than we were just 12 months ago. It's estimated there are about 32 official wars going on in the world right now. That's not including armed conflicts and all kinds of peaceless events. We don't just experience the lack of peace in the world. Sometimes we experience it in our very homes. You may have heard that nothing irks a woman more than seeing a man sitting down. Uh, I'm not saying this experientially I don't know if this is true you may have experienced this but we can understand the tension there right the way of cleaning versus the way of the couch the way of the couch in many ways represents a pursuit of peace a good football game a warm blanket and some snacks what else can anyone long for But the way of cleaning also represents a pursuit of peace, doesn't it? Once the tasks are done, once the house is in good shape, once all is organized, I will be at peace. But in a surprising way, what the way of the couch and the way of cleaning have in common is that rest And peace is elusive for both of them. The couch fails to realize that the putting off of responsibilities is just that. 
a putting off. They will need to be done eventually or someone else will have to do them for us. <coughs> Even worse, the way of the couch creates a compilation of tasks that only add to burdens that we carry and not peace. The way of cleaning is the same thing. The way of accomplishing tasks. But in the broken world, like the one we live, tasks are never really finished. As soon as you finish the laundry and you change your clothes, suddenly the hamper is full again, isn't it? You finish the dishes and you drink a glass of water and suddenly the sink that was clean is now again a task to be accomplished. And so it is true with all tasks. We finish a day just to start another. We finish a year just to start another. We're all looking for rest. We're all looking for peace, aren't we? But peace is elusive. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3, we're promised two things. We're promised that work will make us tired. And that relationships will be plagued with conflicts. And these things rob us of the peace we desire. Peace is fleeting because labors are never really finished. Peace depends on rest. And rest depends on labors being finished. We associate rest at times with death, don't we? We wish people that have died that they may rest in peace. I used to work with a friend who was very hardworking, and sometimes when things were very busy and difficult at work, he would say, we'll rest when we die. And there's truth to that. This age is not an age of rest. Part of the curse is that labor and pain will plague the human experience. We understand that. We feel that. Full peace will only be experienced in our future redemption. But... There's a sense in which we can experience today the foretaste of the greater peace we'll have one day with Jesus. This is a little bit of this already not yet tension that we see throughout the Bible. There's a sense in which we're called to rest in the Bible. There's a sense in which we're told you where we are already resting. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. So then that remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, Hebrews is telling us that rest is present in our lives today. But it's hard to believe that, isn't it? The alarm clock reminds us that rest is not here. Children who are demanding remind us that rest is not here. The cycles of work 
having a boss, having customers, having people who demand of your time, remind us that rest is not yet fully here. But God's Sabbath rest is an invitation for us to rest in this present age. So the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring us the rest of God. Why did God rest? Because he was finished with his task. Why did Jesus come to finish the task on our behalf? Jesus came to give us peace. And how do we receive the peace that Jesus offers? We experience the peace that Jesus offers when we stop trying to work to justify ourselves and believe in the work that Jesus has done for us. Works-based salvation is exhausting, never-ending. But faith is peaceful and restful. Today we're going to consider the doctrine of justification by faith in light of Christmas. And how through justification by faith, we receive peace with God. Last week, I told you that my sermon was a bit atypical. I was looking to develop a whole theology of the Bible, a whole biblical theology to explain the hope of the gospel. During December, I am preaching out of single verses. So I'm using theological tools to expand on these verses. Today I'm going to do something similar to what I did last week, but instead of looking at the whole Bible, we're going to try to develop the theology of the book of Romans. And we're going to primarily consider Romans 1 through 5 as we seek to understand how we can have peace with God. I have two points. First, the means of justification, which is faith. And second, the byproduct of justification, which is Peace. So let's consider first the means of justification, which is faith. All of the Bible is fully inspired, and yet some sections of the Bible are clearer on their gospel proclamation than others. Perhaps the book of Romans contains the most clear explanation of the hope of the gospel in all of the Bible. If you're not familiarized with the book of Romans, you should become familiarized with the book of Romans. From chapter 1, verse 1, to the very last verse of chapter 16, the Apostle Paul sets up the most powerful argument for the gospel we can find. The power of salvation. Humanity has not seen such powerful argument anywhere else. And at the heart of Paul's argument in Romans, he fleshes out the doctrine of justification by faith, creating an intrinsic, an inseparable link between the doctrine of justification by faith and the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is the thesis statement of the book of Romans. And listen to what Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel that's our antecedent here for it the gospel is the power of gospel of god for salvation for everyone who believes 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Did you hear the link between righteousness by faith or justification by faith in the gospel? Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because in it, in the gospel, the righteousness, righteousness is another word for justification, the justification of God is revealed. How? By faith. The righteous, the justified, shall live by faith. So justification by faith is not only essential for the gospel, justification by faith is essentially the gospel. You cannot have one without the other. <clears throat> 19th century Anglican pastor Charles Simeon once said that justification by faith alone is the hinge upon which the whole of Christianity turns. Now that's a bold statement. But if Charles Simeon is right, which I believe he is, we must not think lightly about justification by faith. So let's take a little bit of time trying to think through what the doctrine of justification by faith is. So what is justification by faith? Well, let's think first about justification. Justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. In other words, justification is akin to someone standing before a judge and hearing the verdict, not guilty. The, the church lost the heart of this word in the dark ages. And an argument can be made that much of the troubles that the Catholic Church saw during the dark ages was because they did not understand this word well. The Greek word gives us this meaning, this legal meaning of someone standing before a judge and being told your guilt is no longer there. However, when the, when the Catholic Church looked to the Latin Vulgate, they, they found the word justificare there, which means to make just. You see, to make just is different than to declare just. So the Catholic Church found itself pursuing systems of work in order for one to be made just. When all along, God is not concerned for us to make ourselves just because Christ has already accomplished that for us. In our minds, we often think that justification is a work we must produce. We think God will accept me if I do more right than wrong. We believe that God keeps a tab on the works and gives us rewards according to how hard we work, how little we sin, how disciplined we are. We often struggle to believe justification by faith because it is such a great demonstration of the grace of God. <clears throat> Years ago, a young man sought me out to confess a sin. 
After he shared the sin with me, I asked him if he had repented from his sin and confessed it to the Lord. He said, I have. So I told him, you've been forgiven. It's done. This young man looked at me and said, no, you were supposed to be hard on me. I need to feel bad for what I did. And I explained to him, no, it is enough that Jesus was put to grief for you. What he needs is not to feel bad for the sin that he committed. Jesus was put to shame. Jesus received his guilt. What he needs now is to forsake the sin out of love for Christ. You see, this young man wanted to atone for his sin with his own grief. He wanted to feel bad so that God could forgive him of his sin. But, but God doesn't want that for us, does he? He wants us to believe the declaration. You are not guilty and be done. God wants us to rest on faith and not works. This is what justification means. We rest on faith and not works. But what about faith? Faith is the means by which we receive the declaration of righteousness. Faith is the means by which we receive the declaration of righteousness. Faith is how we appropriate the righteousness that is not ours. This is why the reformers refer to the righteousness that the Christian has as an alien righteousness. One that is received not by works, but by faith. Faith is not a work. Faith is a gift. A gift that God gives. The Bible says that we have been saved by grace through faith. And this is the gift of God. The Bible says that it has been granted for us to believe in Christ. So justification is a declaration that is made about us. And faith is a gift that is given to us. So this means that if you are a Christian, this has nothing to do with how good you are. Or with how faithful you are. Or with how disciplined you are. Romans 3.28, as we continue developing the discipline, the, 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 the doctrine of justification by faith in Romans, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Did you hear what Paul said here? We're justified by faith. But he contrasts faith with something else, doesn't he? He contrasts faith with works. And the contrast is very strong. We had that one is, we hold that one is justified by faith apart. Apart from works. Paul doesn't use soft language here. Paul is not saying that one is justified by faith, even if he has a little bit of works, even if he pursues a little bit of work. No, there has to be a wall of separation between faith 
and works, and they must not come together. We can't have faith, but kind of embrace works on the side just in case. A little bit of yeast leavens a whole lump. And so a little bit of works contaminates faith. A little bit of reliance on works compromises faith. And faith that is compromised is faith that does not justify. In other words, the gospel tells us that there is nothing we can do to justify ourselves. And if we try, we will find ourselves not justified. If we try to justify ourselves by what we do, look, God, my works, receive them will find ourselves lacking in forgiveness. Our only hope for justification is faith apart from works. But faith in what? Belief in what? Or perhaps better put, belief in whom? The answer is clear, right? Belief in Christ. Notice the therefore in the beginning of the verse. A therefore is a word that points back to an argument previously made. So the question is, what is this therefore pointing back to? Well, there are three major therefores in the book of Romans. The first one is here. The second one is in Romans 8, verse 1, which reads, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the third one is in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Every time one of these therefores appear, they point back to the whole book. This is how Paul has designed his argument to take place. So when we find the therefore in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul is saying, because of everything that I have said between chapters 1 and chapter 4, therefore, we're justified by faith, having peace with God. In chapter 1, Paul argues that humanity, in, in humanity's inability to obey the gospel has resulted in the wrath of of God being poured out on us. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, Romans 1, 18. Later on in chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Paul starts categorizing all peoples of earth, on earth between two categories, Gentiles first. Gentiles are indicted because they reject the testimony of God in creation. They look at creation and they worship themselves. In chapters 2 and 3, Jews are indicted because they reject the testimony of Scripture. God revealed Himself to the Jewish people in His Word and they have rejected. So we arrive in Romans 3, 10 and 11 and we read, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one even seeks God. So the idea 
of the tribesmen somewhere in the Amazon jungle that worships the one true God and creator of the universe is a lie. That person does not exist. No one desires God. No one seeks God. We create gods after our own images. And we believe that they can save us. No one is justified by their own works. But then we are introduced to a man, a simple man, a shepherd from the land of Ur. His name is Abraham. And after this dark picture of Romans 1 through 3, at the end of chapter 3, we're told there's hope. We can be like Abraham. We're told that Abraham was justified. So if we're looking for justification, we need to learn from Abraham. How was Abraham justified? And Abraham was justified by faith. He believed the promises of God and he too came to be justified by faith. This has been God's mode of operation from the very beginning. God has never demanded adherence to any law in exchange for righteousness. God has granted righteousness to the one who believes. Even Adam would not have been justified by his works. Adam's greatest fall, or greatest fault, was not ultimately that he ate a forbidden fruit, but that he did not believe what God had said, which led him to disobey God. At the heart, at the heart of Adam's sin, there is a lack of faith. He heard what the serpent said. Did God really say? And he doubted. Abraham's, on the, uh, Abraham's greatest virtue, on the other hand, was not what he did. He was unfaithful in many ways, twice lying about his wife, trying to, trying to do God's work in his own way. But Abraham ultimately believed God. His greatest virtue was his faith. Though his body and his wife's body were as good as dead, Abraham believed in the promise of God. Abraham believed in God. But the therefore here also points us back to the argument bef right before it. So I, I told you that the therefore points back to everything that has led up right to this point in the book of Romans, to chapter 5. But it also points us back to the verse right before chapter 5, verse 1. This is the great genius of Paul. His ability to sustain the logic of the whole book at all times together, but also his ability to hold the logic of specific sections of the book. So listen to the last verse in chapter 4, what Paul says, Romans 4.25, who, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul does not jump into this argument for justification here in chapter 5 out of a vacuum. He explains that we have been justified by faith because of Jesus' sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. And what is so special about Jesus' death and resurrection? Jesus' death and resurrection is a complete work. It is the only complete work that has ever been done. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of classical music. And some of the greatest classical composers have just written some incredible works. Perhaps two of my favorite composers are Mozart and Beethoven. And when you listen to their music, it just sounds so perfect. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is so complete from beginning to end. But did you know that Beethoven started a Tenth Symphony? He never finished it. Why? Because he died before he could complete his Tenth Symphony. Did you know that Mozart was in the process of writing his Requiem, the song for the dead, when he died? So he's writing a mass for the dead, and he dies in the process. And his students had to complete the work he had not finished. Even the most capable, the most talented people in this world are not able to complete the works that they started. But Jesus finished what he set out to do. When Jesus died, there was not one work left for him to do. It was all accomplished. It was accomplished on the, floor, on the cross and vindicated by his resurrection. So Jesus is the only person who can appropriate the phrase, it is finished. None of us can. None of us will ever finish everything that there is for us to accomplish. But Jesus was able to cry, it is finished. And he was able to mean it. So what is the basis for our justification? Broadly, broadly speaking, it's to believe in God's promises. That's what Abraham did. Abraham believed in God's promises. But specifically, the basis for our justification is to believe in the finished work of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ, his death for our sin, and his resurrection for our justification. Friends, there's no other way to find peace with God. There's no other way for you to find yourself right before God except by believing that Jesus died. And he rose again. A few years ago, I was watching the funeral for President George H.W. Bush. It was a beautiful Episcopalian ceremony filled with the gospel. And as his casket was ushered out of the church by all members of, members of all the branches of the armed forces, the organ began playing a hymn by the great English hymnodist William Walsham Howe. This is one of the most epic scenes I have ever seen in my life. It is on YouTube if you'd like to watch it. It is incredible to see. 
And I'm a big fan of English hymns. So the hymn that was sang as this casket was walked out of that church was the hymn for all the saints who from their labors rest. Who thee by faith before the world confess the name of Jesus be forever blessed. I remember thinking, we only rest at death, don't we? The saints labor in this life, but at death we rest. And as I thought about the words of this hymn, I realized this is justification by faith. We rest from our labors as we, by faith, confess the name of Jesus. Who is forever blessed. Why? Because we can never obey God perfectly. But Jesus did. So we rest from our labors. How? By confessing the name of Jesus. We cry out, Christ, Jesus, my Lord. Finish the work that I am not able to. We can never rest, but Jesus did. And he invites us to, by faith, Rest in him. What happened to Jesus on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, between the Friday that he died and the Sunday that he was raised from the dead? He rested. He rested. He rested in paradise with God. And that's what he invites us to do as well. So if you've been looking for rest by working hard to finish your tasks, Friend, you will never find rest in your labors. Faith in the finished work of Christ is what you need. I wonder if you feel tired today. I wonder if you feel burdened by life. I wonder if you're looking at the Christmas season and you're thinking there's so much to do and you feel burdened. Or I wish I had more to do and you feel burdened. I wonder if when you wake up in the morning, you feel tired. I wonder if you'd like to experience rest. Rest is what Jesus offers us. So how does this apply to our everyday life? Well, parents, I guess I choose parents first because this is the first uh, thing that comes through my mind when, it, when, it has, when I think of exhaustion, right? So parents, if you're trying to be the best parent you can be, let me remind you that there is always something else that you can do with your children, for your children. There's always another sport. There's always another instrument. There's always another activity. But busyness does not lead to completion. Busyness does not replace faith. Faith is the only completed work that you can do. So instead of trying to parent out of being busy, why don't you try parenting out of faith? You can offer your children all the things in the world, but your hard work does not produce the righteousness of God. So rest. Rest in Jesus because ultimately... He holds the future of your children in his hands. Students, 
There is always an opportunity for extra credit. A B can always turn into a B plus, A minus, an A, an A plus. There is always someone that is going to get a higher grade than you, that is going to know something more than you. So do not pursue education as though you can finish the work at hand. Trust that the Lord has given you a certain amount of hours a day. Study hard and rest, knowing that your future is in God's hand. Do not try to be the best student that you can possibly be. Instead, trust the Lord. Husbands and wives, do you sometimes wish you could just change one another? Do you sometimes view your spouse as a project that you have? And you're always pursuing, if I do this, then he will change in this area. If I do that, then she will change in this area. Friends, can, can I encourage you to leave your spouse to the Lord? He will take care of your spouse. Pray for them. Enjoy them. And live your life in peace. Your spouse is not a project for you. And if your spouse was a project for you, you would not finish that project. If you're struggling with workaholism, you can always work one more hour. You can always check your email one more time. You can always answer one more call. But work will not grant us rest. There will always be somebody that works harder than you. There will always be somebody that is more capable than you. Trust God. Work hard when it's time to work, but rest when it's time to rest. Just as, just as Jesus rested, rest in Jesus. Are you, are you struggling with comparison? Are you looking to other people and thinking, if I could only experience what they experience, if I could only have what they have, you know, can I encourage you to get off social media? Social media is not true. Social media is all made up. True, true problems, true troubles, true arguments don't make their way into Instagram stories. What we see is what people want us to see. And we think that we must pursue life the way they pursue life. But friends, it is enough to be faithful. So put down your phone, disconnect from social media, and just remember that the work that we must present is the work that Christ has already accomplished for us. Now let's consider briefly the byproduct of justification, which is peace. At this point, you may be asking the question, Pastor Lucas, is this a Christmas message? And uh, my answer to you is not really, but yes. This is a great excuse for me to talk about Jesus. And if I have an excuse to talk about Jesus, I'll do that. This is a message about Jesus who came to bring us to what, uh, what we lacked. What, and what did we lack? We lacked peace. Notice, however, that Paul does not say, since we have been justified with, uh, by faith, let us pursue the peace that we can have 
with God. No, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have. We have peace with God. We have permanently irrevocable peace with God. Peace is a gift we receive, not a virtue we pursue. Justification by faith does not show us the way to peace with God. Justification by faith grants us peace with God. I wonder if you knew you needed peace with God. I remember inviting a friend to to church when I was in college, and he said, don't worry about me. I don't need the church. God and I are good. He believed he had peace with God. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. Friend, do not be deceived. If you're not in Christ, you're not good with God. So you need to find peace with God through justification by faith. The word peace is a word that is pregnant with meaning, isn't it? It it is a biblical, theological powerhouse of a word. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. But shalom is more than what we would initially think of as peace in the English language. Shalom is not merely the absence of conflict. Shalom is completion. Shalom is wholeness. Shalom is fulfillment. Shalom is satisfaction. So the message of justification by faith is a message that reminds us that if we are in Christ, God is satisfied with us. If we are in Christ, we lack nothing to be good with God. The the message of justification by faith is the message that God is not angry with you. God is satisfied with you. God is happy with you. This is what it means to have peace with God. Regardless of whether you read your Bible this morning or not. Regardless of of whether or not you've been disciplined in your prayer life. Regardless of whatever you did last night. Regardless of where you are emotionally. Take a minute, minute and remember that if you've been justified by faith, God is not angry with you. You are at peace with God and you cannot lose this peace. The world offers us the appearance of peace, but Jesus offers us real peace. Before he left his disciples, he reminded them in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the peace that Jesus gives removes trouble and fear. So it is not surprising that when the angel announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the peace Jesus offers is a peace that removes fear. But what fear is removed by the peace of Christ? Christ, through the gift of justification by faith, gives us peace by removing from us the fear of judgment by God. Jesus reminds his disciples in Matthew 10, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. That's God. 
God can and will destroy the soul of everyone who rejects him and he will do so in hell. This is an ind indictment that is on all humanity. But by faith, we're justified before God. And therefore, we have peace. If we need to be given the gift of peace with God, this means we're at a point that not have peace with God. But the message of Christmas is that Christ came to reconcile holy God and sinful men. Paul says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, enemies of who? Of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Justification by faith removes the animosity we once had with God. Justification by faith gives us peace. We need peace with God, don't we? Because God can destroy us if He wants, but He withholds that from us. The peace we experience with God must also extend to, to the peace that we must experience with others. Let us have peace with one another. Let us live well with one another. Why? Because if God is willing to live at peace with us, we must be willing to live at peace with others. Justification by faith gives us peace about our past. You have no reason to be ashamed. You've been justified by God through faith. Justification by faith gives us peace with our present. Today, we know we stand rightly before God. Justification by faith gives us peace for our future. And friend, peace with God is available today if you come to Christ in faith and in repentance. Would you pray with me? Father, how we need peace with you. Lord, we're thankful because the peace that we can have with you is not accomplished by our work, but it has been accomplished by the works of Christ. Help us, Lord, have faith where we're weak. Strengthen our faith so that we may trust you all the days of our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing the song, please.